Are you a caregiver? Or do you have a loved one who is aging and you, or they, might have questions that need to be answered? We have some answers that might help. This is Aging Life Network with Nancy Oriola. Today, you'll hear from experts and others related to the field of aging who will bring you answers, best practices, and tips for helping your loved one navigate this new part of life. Now, here is your host, Nancy Oriola. Hello, welcome to Aging Life, the show about all things aging. Today, we are talking about the brain. While people used to believe that the brain became fixed after a certain age, newer research has revealed that the brain never stops changing in response to learning. So what better person to discuss all of this with than my professional friend and colleague, Jennifer Price, the founder of Learning Foundations, a brain-based learning center in Denver, Colorado, where she leads a team of educational specialists. Those specialists support the diverse neurological needs of learners of all ages. Jennifer knows a lot about the brain and how it functions. And so I am delighted to have you here today, Jennifer. Welcome. Well, thank you so much for having me, Nancy. I, I get so excited to talk about the brain. I geek out a little bit, so I can't wait to have this conversation. <laughs> Good. I'm, I'm so glad you're here to do that. Um, well, let's just talk a little bit about what you currently do and how did you come to do it? Yeah, so my personal information connects back to being a mom. When my son, who's now a teenager, was two years old, he was identified as having a cyst in his brain. And so, of course, I'm, I'm also, I've been a teacher for 25 years. I've been a researcher in child development and human development across aging. Um, and so all of these elements to me kind of told me that I need to, I need to know a lot about the brain and I need to know how to help my son in case there's any consequences of having this cyst in his brain at the age of two that was the size of softball. Mm -hmm. So I was really motivated and, and just in the last 16 years we've come up with so much more cool information and yet we've barely scratched the surface of understanding the brain. So there's information I can share like we have 100 billion brain cells and that's fascinating but who cares and why does it make a difference? Um, and so I started to really learn about the brain and how it affects not just our performance, whatever our job is, or school, um, but also how it affects our emotions. And so it's very interesting how inside of our brain we have this essentially a, a struggle between the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex, where we make decisions, we have motivation and task initiation that all lives in the front side of the brain. And it's fighting with the back of the brain, which is our limbic system, and that's where our emotions exist. And so what's so interesting about it is that we're learning from brain trauma, we're learning from aging adults, so much information that there is a lot of fake or false information out there. Like you said earlier, it is a myth that our brains stop growing neurons. Um, we can do so much more, we have so much more control of our brain and that is fantastic. And I know that a lot of people may or may not have heard of the term of neuroplasticity but that term has been it's been groundbreaking research and it's been amazing what we've been learning from it 
and inspiring. So I hope today when we talk about these ideas, your viewers feel inspired because they'll understand why walking is important or dieting or whatever those things are, how they connect to the brain and why it matters. Yes. Uh, you know, as we um, discussed prior to the show, we were having a conversation about all of this. And and I was telling you that the buzzword in the aging world is brain health. And mm-hmm. so I've given talks on it. I've, I've been to talks about it. And the things we hear about are, you know, learning new things, uh, exercise, diet, et cetera. Um, and, and actually, even in the Alzheimer's world, um, this is being viewed as uh, absolute positive prevention for many forms of dementia. But we don't really understand why those things are important. And so that's what I was hoping to get to today with you is a little bit about the science behind um, you know, how this, Im- how these things interact with each other. Um, and so, um, there are some other scientific pieces that you've shared with me that are pretty interesting. One being, of course, um, not all the neurons of the brain are in the brain. And I remember the first time I heard you say that mm-hmm. and, and talked about what you're about to talk about, and it, and it was pretty shocking to me. So can you discuss, what does that mean, not all our brain cells are in our brain? Yeah, it, it's kind of mind-blowing that we don't talk more about this to me. So we have 100 billion nerve cells in our brain. We have um, 100 million in our stomach, and we have 40,000 brain cells in our heart. So literally, we have brain cells in our heart, in our stomach, and in our head. And that's what makes this system simple, but also complicated. Um, And so knowing that we have so much, people have thought like, oh, well, once you get to a certain age, you've peaked your performance and you're you're just going to get worse and worse. Where the research shows the very opposite of that, that as we get older and our brain um, exercises our specialty, essentially, we get better and better, we become crystallized experts at the knowledge that we have. And then people understand, okay, well, you can be really good at one thing, but not all things. And we're finding that the data is showing that there's this thing called neurogenesis, meaning that nerves will actually be able to be created. Um, and it doesn't, we don't stop creating nerves in our brain. We can actually do that for the rest of our lives following you know, exercise, diet, and a couple of other crucial things. But what's, what kind of blows my mind is understanding physiologically that we have brain cells in these different parts of our body. So why would it matter that we have brain cells in our stomach? Well, um, we create cortisol. It's a stress hormone. And so that is a stomach-related issue. And as I mentioned earlier, we've got a fight in the brain between the front that wants to make decisions and in the back with the emotions. So even the very simplest things we can control, like if we think positively, our brain will create serotonin and dopamine. If we think negatively, our brain will create cortisol um, and increase our our acids in our stomach. So there's consequential stuff. There's consequences to just our everyday thinking and how we approach things. Um, and that's because there are brain cells in multiple areas of our body. So we have more control, um, even though it doesn't feel like we have much control because we can't see it. 
but we do create, and there's uh, new data from 2018 proving, um, oh, well, they proved it like in the 60s at first, but then it always takes another decade to prove <clears throat> that point. But in 2018, we have clarification that we can create new nerves in our hippocampus and in our olfactory system. And so we know that those nerves can still be created at no matter what age you are. What's the olfactory system? It's your sense of smell and taste. Oh, okay. Yeah. So it increases our sense of smell or? So it me- what it means is that we can create new nerves if we need to. So for instance, with the pandemic and the COVID issues, people were struggling with um, smelling and taste. Um, and so for whatever reason, the coronavirus really irritated that part of our systems, our, our taste and our smell. Um, and so we know that if we do certain things, we can create new nerves. Um, and neurogenesis is important to understand because it, because there's a difference between creating new nerves and regeneration. So I'm just going to try to make this really simple. Let me know if, uh, if it gets too complicated. But essentially, when we go outside and we walk for 20 minutes, we are creating dopamine that's feeding new neurons into our hippocampus. Uh, When we try different foods, when we experience different things, in our brain we create what we call a neural pathway. And so whenever we have a neural pathway, you can think of it as um, a trail in the mountains, like you always see where the trail is when you're hiking. That's a strong neural pathway. When you have to create your own path, then we have weakness. We have to start with the simple things. For instance, they say that it takes 32 to 34 times for something to become a habit. And that 32 to 34 times of doing something consistently is because you're creating that neural pathway in the brain. And the more you can make those connections, the deeper that pathway gets and and becomes automatic and becomes easier and faster in your thinking. Hmm. Amazing. It is amazing. It is. Um, so, what about um, yeah this neurogenesis? It's um, and the hypothalamus. So, do we become more emotional? Well, that's interesting because yes, I think that um, that is an, a big issue. So, when we're when two parts of our brain fighting the decision maker or the emotions, the emotions really want to win out, right? But what we learn as we age over time is that we can control our emotions more. Uh, we can choose, like, am I really going to be this upset about it? Should I say something now? Should I say something later? Kind of that mindfulness that we develop over the the decades that we're alive um, helps us navigate our emotions easier. But when someone has brain trauma or even just being a teenager um, or a tween, it, it's really hard to control your emotions because it, they're so they're so powerful. And so one of the things that happens is when we tell people, hey, you know, walking 20 minutes a day is really important because you can create a neural pathway in your brain. I think it helps people to know why they need to walk 20 minutes a day <laughs> and then then measuring their before and after. So before you took this walk, how did you feel? After you took this walk, how did you feel? And you notice a difference because while you're walking, your brain is being happy. It's being well taken care of. It's creating dopamine and neuroepinephrine, and it's telling the brain to absorb more oxygen and to circulate and be stimulated. 
Um, and so if people understand why they need to walk because of all those reasons, then they're probably more likely to walk. <laughs> I mean, of course, I know we always say people should walk to lose weight, but my perspective is we should walk to take care of our brains. I see. Yes. It, it often comes up as part of the, um, part of the, uh, brain health conversation. Yeah. And, uh, the walk, the daily walk. Yes, absolutely. And so, um, so this is what we call neuroplasticity, all that you're talking about? Yeah, so neuroplasticity is the ability for the brain to be competent. And um, let's say, for instance, somebody gets into a car accident and they have trauma to their brain and their brain cells, some brain cells die. Well, if they have the ability to speak, um, then they're working with their BRCA and the Wernke part of the brain, they can create new pathways. So what that means is that if we damage one part of our brain, our brain neuro has neuroplasticity, meaning that it can create new neural pathways and use that information in a different part of our brain It's com to compensate. So um, when someone is damaged severely in their prefrontal cortex, they have challenges with something we call executive functioning. Have you heard of, is that a term that rolls around in your environment, executive oh, functioning? Yes, absolutely. Um, um, it's a big term, actually, often related to um, issues around the frontal lobe. Yeah. yeah. And uh, it, in Alzheimer's patients, they're learning that, um, you know, we keep our long-term memory, but we lose our short-term memory and our working memory with dementia. And so looking at why is that the case? Why do we, why can we hold on to those old memories and really struggle with the new ones? And that connects to our olfactory system. So I'm going to do my best to keep it simple, but... What? Yes, it's crazy. So what you have to think about when we think about memory and rejuvenating or refreshing our brain, it's a really simple concept of how we learn and how we lock in information. We use our senses. We use our eyes, our ears, our hands, our heart. We use all of our senses to, to say whether something is important enough for us to remember in our long-term memory, or if it's not important enough, then we disengage. And so when you engage with your senses, and that's one of the most important things we can do, engage in multiple senses, not just our eyes, but our eyes, our ears, our heart, and our hands, then we're locking in a deeper neural pathway to our long-term memory of whatever we're trying to learn. So the beautiful, the beautiful findings of um, our brain being neuroplastic means that you can learn for the rest of your life um, you can learn something new, and the, and your brain, even if it comes across areas that have uh, damaged or dead cells, your brain will find a new path around that and create new connections. And so to me, that's really inspiring, and, and it's a very simple formula. Oh, I just need to use multiple senses when I'm learning in order to remember information? Yeah. Okay. That, that's right. That is, um, that's something I want to talk more about is memory and learning and, yeah. and how we engage our senses and how that, how that impacts both of those things. But we're going to need to take our first break. Absolutely. And so we will do that. We'll be back in 90 seconds. Uh, I'm talking with Jennifer Price from Learning Foundations, and we are discussing 
um, the wonderful world of uh, brain growth. We'll be right back. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation, offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hi, welcome back. I'm here with Jennifer Price, who is a professional colleague and friend. Um, And today we are um, hearing Jennifer in one of her more serious uh, geeky modes of discussing the brain. I will tell you one of the first things that attracted me to Jennifer was her um, playfulness and sense of humor when we're in uh, other people's meetings and... um, She's just kind of a jokester uh, when it comes to uh, being in a group, uh, which is very fun to be with. But here we are talking serious stuff, and and it really is, you know, a lot of uh, folks, I am a boomer, and one of the things that we all, probably all of us worry about as we age is um, losing brain function. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it really is... Uh, a serious concern and um you were you were starting to talk about our senses and and um you know you you discussed the olfactory system i asked you what that was you said it was you know sense taste and smell which made me just think oh good i can just go out and try different foods and my brain will be fine um <laughs> but uh it's not that simple but then you started talking about all of our other senses. And yeah. so I, I just briefly, I, I want to bring you back to that because, um, you know, memory and learning, um, really important things. But And before we end today, I do want to talk about learning new things versus, you know, the daily crossword puzzle. But um, yeah. And why that's different. So, but bring me back. Let's go back to the senses. Can you yeah. help help me understand it? I'm I'm still not there. 
Absolutely, because our senses are how we create memories. It's how we learn. So literally, science is us just using our senses to measure and understand the world around us. So what happens is, I'll give you an example to anybody listening, but Nancy, the question's for you. What is your earliest memory in childhood? Do you have a, a memory that comes up every now and again from your childhood that you think fondly of or negatively about? Both. I have I have both. But um, yeah, being on a play structure, being okay. outside on a play structure. And yeah. so you had emotions and that's what locked in the memory is whatever it smelled like, whatever whatever the temperature was that day, whether it was sunny or cloudy, your brain remembers that information and it chooses to prioritize that information so it goes into your long-term memory. So what we try to teach people is how to use their memory best. So for instance, when I meet someone, I know that I use my memory best. If someone tells me their name, I need to write it down. I need to see it with my eyes because I'm a visual verbal learner. That means that I use my eyes to interpret a lot of the world around me, whether it's in pictures or whether it's in language, my eyes are going to be my access to my long-term memory, but I can't but I can't underestimate the value of being able to write it down. Now I'm using my kinesthetic, my ability to write. And so what happens is the more uh, senses we engage during a situation, the more neurons are being wrapped, connected, and there's a deeper neural pathway being created. So whatever happened on that day you were on the playground when you were a child, it must have been a brilliant or sunny day or something that made you really happy because your brain chose emotionally, I'm going to remember this. And it's interesting how much our emotions do um, become the decipher of, is this going to go into long-term memory or am I just going to go, is this just going to be short-term memory and we're going to dump it and it's not important. Um, So there's such a difference in our brain because when we're accessing our eyes, our ears, our heart, our hands, we're telling our brain, hey, I'm putting all this effort in. This must be really important. It's going to go into my long-term memory. And then with Eight over the course of time, we know that our brain does start to atrophy. So it does atrophy over time. We we lose our ability to process information the way we did it as certain decades. So that changes, and that can affect the way we memorize and learn things too. Right, there is a slower processing speed, um, although. You know, what we defined 25 years ago, a neurologist told me recently on a show, as normal aging is now being viewed as not normal aging. So even those, you know, even those things are beginning to shift in the in the neurological world. But um, but yes, it it is true that most of us. to become more forgetful and depend on our recall memory. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, why did I come into this room? Where did I leave my keys? Mm-hmm. Um, and I always appreciate and am always interested in the fact that for me personally, I remember interesting, strange things and then other things I have no recollection of a conversation. And, and so it's those words right there. It's interesting to you. So your brain prioritizes it and it becomes and it locks into your long term memory. 
What we see as people age is that their working memory, because there's different kinds of memory, three really, just to be, I'll just talk about three, but there's one called working memory, and that's where we hold a list or we hold a memory in our in our brain for about nine milliseconds. Like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go get my keys, I know where they are, and you walk in the room and go, what am I doing here? That's your working memory, and that's really what we want um, to express the importance of diet and exercise and using your, your senses to keep that working memory stimulated. So sometimes um, it helps uh, to have a list. So let's say you have to remember something. You can use two fingers you know, or three fingers if you need to remember three things, but your fingers actually activate as a cue to your memory. So um, if you need to do something or if you need to memorize something, the question comes back to what is your primary source of learning? Do you lock it in through your ears? Are you a visual person where you lock it in more with your eyes? Are you a visual person who really locks in information with pictures and not language? Um, and are you a kinesthetic person? Regardless of, of what your the primary sense is important because we know we need to get that one done. It needs to be on the checklist every single time. So every single time that I meet somebody and I, I am introduced to somebody new and I need a new name, I have to write that down. I have to choose to be diligent enough because I recognize that my weakness will be if I don't write that down. <laughs> um, and so that becomes really important. So for every person, start by asking yourself, what memory do you remember from being a kid and how would you describe it? Would you describe more of what you saw or more of what you heard, more of what you were doing or more of what you felt or maybe smelled? And so when we access our long-term memory and describe those memories to people, it really tells us a lot about how our brain is naturally and beautifully wired to learn because our brain is always wired to learn. Um, and so things can decline in, in time and speed, but we can always continue learning because of the neuroplasticity of our brain. Interesting, all of it. Um, that's, that's great. So, so let's chat a little bit about um, keeping what we got. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, but also, it's not just keeping what we got. Like, <clears throat> did you say this earlier? I know you've said this to me before. 20 minutes of walking can yeah. create so many neurons. Uh, yes. And generate so many new neurons in the brain. Yeah, yeah that's exactly right. And even more fascinating than 20 minutes of walking is there's even data now indicating that five minutes of thinking about being grateful produces the same amount of nerves, new neural cells, as the 20-minute walk. So if you don't have 20 minutes, but you've got three or three to five minutes, making a list of things you're grateful about uh, is extremely powerful and does regenerate. It does generate new cells. And why would that be the case? Because again, we're, we're telling our brain we're making something a priority. And when we prioritize it and we like it, we produce those happy hormones. We produce serotonin and um, serotonin and neuroepinephrine. We produce those things when something's a priority and it's important to us. And when it's stressful, we produce cortisol. And so then it goes into our stomach and some people can get really stuck in their performance because they're feeling nervous or they're feeling something in their stomach. Um, other people might get 
worried and get a headache. But what it, what's happening is your brain needs to learn by using the senses and engaging your senses. So start by asking yourself, what's my primary sense that I know for sure, you know, like me, I'm a visual verbal, I need to write things down to, to remember them. Because um, I don't want to ask somebody four times what their name is again. <laughs> you know, right. how about you, Nancy, when you meet someone new, how do you remember their name? Do you listen and just remember it? You know, I'm a I'm a very auditory person. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, I learn by listening. Mm-hmm. And uh, there are times I remember when I was in graduate school, I would sit back and just close my eyes and listen, really listen. Oh, I love so, that. Um, so for me, it's important uh, when I meet someone, um, well, sometimes I don't remember their name and I just ask them again. <laughs> yeah. Well, a lot of times, um, brain, if you're an auditory learner, what mm-hmm. your brain does is it, it, um, it embeds it in your system by even the tone of how somebody says their name. Um, it embeds it in the audio um, of your brain. And that's your, if that's your primary source, then closing your eyes makes perfect sense because you are essentially telling your eyes, do not compete with my ears. I'm going to shut my eyes so my ears can do what they need to do. And it's 100% performance. Um, And that's interesting that you mentioned that because a lot of people don't realize that one or the other can interfere. So for me, when there's a lot of noise in the background, hearing is something that causes me interference in learning. So if I'm distracted by a conversation or squeaky squeaky chairs, it's interfering in in my ability to concentrate and learn. So we have to kind of go around the world saying, okay, how can I be my best when I'm learning something new? And you had mentioned it's not just about doing the crosswords every day. It's about learning new things or trying a new skill. And um, because the crossword skill is just like that trail in the mountains. It's a neural pathway, it's automatic, it's regulated, it's going to perform because you've taught it how to do it. And then when we learn a new skill, we have to create these new neural connections and teach our brain how to do that. And as I mentioned mm-hmm. earlier, it can take up to 34 times before it becomes a habit. But that, but that's the growth piece. That's the growth piece, absolutely. I see, I see. yes. And it can well, be challenging. It can be challenging to to want to learn something new sometimes. And, you know, that could be your emotions getting in the way. What holds you back from learning? What's your what's your concern? And so our emotions just play such a game on us that we really need to be aware of. Am I making this decision to learn because or not learn? Am I choosing to not learn something because I want the easy way out? Or am I just thinking I'm a failure? What What is behind that? So we have to really be more um, aware of what our thinking is and how that complements or doesn't complement learning a new skill. Mm-hmm. But it, but it it is an amazing piece. I mean, when you grow those new trails, yep. those new pathways, mm-hmm. you're essentially growing your capacity in your brain function. Yes. Yes. Um, and I yes. Mm. Oh, I was just going to say other other things. Uh, working memory is certainly um, the thing that I would like to improve personally. Mm-hmm. Um, other other things. Um, uh, not that I'm trying to get out of the walk, but um, other other things that contribute. Yeah, to helping with working memory. 
Absolutely. So you, there's a, you know, your omegas, what you eat in your diet, your omegas are really important. That directly feeds your brain. You want to give your brain these really healthy vitamin B vitamins that helps your brain. Um, praying, meditating, being mindful or being grateful. Those things all are things we can do while we're sitting down and um, it is stimulating our brain. Um, and nice, so nice. I know it can be more of a challenge because sometimes people don't know what to learn. Um, and I've even heard people say, oh, I'm too, learn I'm too old to learn that. And you're not. You're not too old to learn that. Right. Like a new language. Um, yeah. It can be hard. Yeah. It might be harder. It may take more practice, but you can still learn it. And it's just having the uh, perseverance to know I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to persevere. I'm going to try hard. I'm going to put my effort into this and I'm going to try it. And if I fail, I'm going to promise myself to try it again. So right. you have to be you have to be really persevering um, about what you choose to learn. And as you get older, that can be harder and harder each decade. So um, I, I I made a note: healthy tummy equals healthy brain. Yes. Um, so for those of us in the world uh, in the in the world of uh, you know, full of stress. Um, aside from, you know, some of the things you just mentioned and quote, a good diet, how do probiotics, do probiotics help? And, and I had a physician tell me recently, don't buy the stuff over the counter at Costco, but go to a health food store and buy uh, probiotics from the refrigerated section. Um, at any rate, uh, it's important to address a healthy gut. And um, you're absolutely right. And it's so important. And I and this is what blows my mind is I can't believe we haven't been talking about this for 60 years already because we knew this back in the 1960s how important um, this connection between our gut and our brain are. So what happens is that when our stomach is fed good things, it attracts positive thinking. So we have a biome, a little tiny habitat, a world in our stomach, and it's filled with a whole bunch of good cultures and negative cultures. So when you eat something like yogurt, you're putting a probiotic in your system and you're telling your stomach, hey, I'm feeding the good stuff. And then you feel better and it actually helps produce positive thinking when we feed our stomachs well. When we don't feed our stomachs well, we produce a lot of negative thinking and that creates cortisol. And cortisol leads to stress and stress leads to ulcers. Stress leads to so many things. So one of the most important things to know is that to some extent, stress can be good. So if you think of a bell curve, you know, a bell curve in your mind or a bell shaped uh -huh. curve, mm -hmm. um, when we get to the top of that, we are in our peak performance at the top of the bell curve. And it's important to know that we can either go in the negative direction simply by thinking negatively or not eating or not taking care of our stomach, or we can go into the positive, into the performance, into a zone of like absolute amazing performance based on what is in our stomach um, and how it, how it leads to the production of hormones and um, other proteins and enzymes that go into feed your brain. So our, our stomach, while it only has 100 million nerve cells, and that's not nearly as many as we have in our brain, clearly, um, they're really powerful and they're really old. 
And so what I mean by that is that we've had brain cells in our stomach for hundreds of hundreds of thousands of years. And so that information is important in taking care of ourselves. So I have to take care of my stomach in order to take care of my brain is something that we should know is just a truth. And it's not a myth. It's very directly related to how we feel and how we um, keep our memory going. Wow. Okay. I will um, watch what I eat. <laughs> well, it's, you know, you, you do want to watch what you eat, but most importantly, <laughs> you want to make sure that you're giving your brain the right food it needs. Right, right. Nourishing. Yeah. Nourishing all of those things. I mean, uh, and and the walking is also nourishing the heart, which also contains. So the brain cells, they're not like in other organs, but they're in those specific organs. That's right. That That is the fascinating part. It really um, is fascinating. And if we understand how all that relates to performance, we would have we would have so many more people that be that would be willing to stand in front of a group of people and perform. <laughs> and and by performance you don't just mean, you know, giving giving a TED talk, but you also mean um, your brain performance, your ability, yeah. your functioning, yeah. your brain function. Wow. That's right. Okay. Well, I need to take our second break, but I have, um, I have more questions for you, Ms. Jennifer Price. Great. And, uh, and then we'll wrap it up in this next, next segment. So come on back folks. Uh, a little more information from Jennifer Price from Learning Foundations. We'll be right back. America is on your favorite smart speaker. If you have Alexa or Google Home, go ahead and give us a try. Hey Alexa, play Finding Your Frequency podcast on TuneIn. Are you overwhelmed and struggling with the next step? Is your family in crisis? Do you need advice or help making a difficult decision for an aging loved one? Aging Life Network was developed to connect you with senior care experts and life care professionals who will discuss your unique situation offer practical step-by-step guidance, tell you the questions to ask, and help you understand the maze of options. Their network of life care professionals, available to you through HIPAA-compliant video conferencing and calls, will work with you to create action plans to solve your current and real-time problems. Aging Life Network's online educational center, ALN Academy, offers 24-7 access to the most up-to-date and accurate information for seniors and their families. Through podcast interviews with senior care experts, articles, and live webinars, Aging Life Network shares with you those things you need to know to care for your aging loved one. Check out aginglifenetwork.com today and find the answers you need. Opinions, options, answers. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. This is Aging Life Network. If you have a question or comment for Nancy about the show, please send an email to nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. That's nancy at aginglifenetwork.com. Now, back to the program. Hey, Jennifer, thank you all for coming back. And um, I'm here with Jennifer Price from Learning Foundations. 
And over the break, I was um, I was uh, taking advantage of realizing that this woman really can help you understand more about yourself and your style, your learning style, and um, where, where you have issues with memory and uh, what might help with uh, improving that. And so... Um, as always, I love doing these shows because I really learned so much, and I'm hoping the audience can glean uh, what I'm gleaning from you. I really appreciate it. Um, so back to gratitude. Um, yeah. Is uh, making the list as helpful as actually feeling grateful? <laughs> you know, <clears throat> that's interesting. Um is making a list as important as feeling grateful? No, you don't have to have a list to be creating gratitude. Yeah. Um, the reason why we say make a list is because you're integrating more senses into that task. And again, just one sense is great, but if you can do multiple senses, then it's gonna take that to a deeper level in your brain and a deeper neural pathway will be created. Okay. Um, and so that's why that's important, but you don't have to write it down unless you want it to really stick. And um, and again, it's just our brain priming our, our serotonin, neuroepinephrine, dopamine, all of these um, neurotransmitters, uh, just simply by thinking, these are the things I'm grateful for. Yeah. Well, and I was also telling you over the break, I'm, um, even though I say I'm auditory, I'm an auditory learner, the fact of the matter is, um, I, I not only see numbers and remember numbers in a strange way. I do, um, it's really basic arithmetic, but I do math more quickly sometimes than people can put it into their little um, calculator. I've witnessed this actually, (laughs) I've seen you do that. Um, And that part of your brain is really sharp. And well, it's a couple different things. So one is that it goes back to your memory that you see numbers and that locks in your verbal, verbal, visual memory. Some people, um, I'm not great at remembering numbers, so I write them down. And once I write them down, now I'm great at those numbers. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are other people who aren't great at memorizing words or numbers. Uh, For instance, we've learned from dyslexic learners that their long-term memory is really about pictures. So it's about having a picture and connecting that picture to something that you already know, saw, felt, touched, something that's, you know, a prior knowledge, piece of prior knowledge. And so it takes effort to do these things. And I think that as we get older, it can be more challenging to put in this effort because we aren't really told why to, we're just told to. But if we understood that, hey, thinking positively affects my neural pathways and affects the amount of um, happy hormones that are being produced in my body, you're probably gonna be more motivated to, to walk or to think gratefully knowing that there's a specific reason for healthiness and for priming your brain as to why you want to do that. Um, and we want to look at our learning style, how, what's our primary form of remembering the information. But then we also, uh, you were talking about how you remember numbers, but you might forget that the water is boiling the potatoes on the oven. Mm-hmm. And that's a great example of what happens to us all the time because we are such multitaskers. What happens is that as we get older, our brain, because it does slow down in processing speed, you have to be very selective about what you're attending to. 
So at the end of the day, you know, you're boiling potatoes for dinner <clears throat> and how much of a priority is that versus what else you're also doing at the same time? Correct. So in order to remember that you're doing it, probably want to stay in the environment at least to have a visual reminder or smell or hear it boiling. But it's still important. It's just that you're doing something else that's more important and being aware of that. And so we say selectively attend. Choose selectively what you attend to and you won't forget um, because we're, we aren't great at multitasking. And that's just that's in the last 10 years where we started to to really admit that humans are not great at multitasking. Um, well, I think it gets harder as we get older. Yes. Yes, it does. And that's because the brain, like a computer, is slowing down its processing speed and it's going to take a bit more effort to put in, but it's worth it and you can still do it at any age. And I think that's pretty inspirational to know. That's great. So, you know what we didn't talk about because I was just thinking about those brain health talks. Um, Because essentially, when we talk about brain fitness, it's it's equates with the brain health talks that people yeah. often go to, right? So exercise, they hear about diet, you hear about, um, you don't really hear as well, you hear about happiness. So attitude certainly is important. What you also hear about is social connection. Yes. Do you have any thoughts on that and how that stimulates the brain? Oh, in so many ways. I, I love that you brought that up. That's a really important piece because what it, what's happening is multiple things. When we have a social connection, we have somebody holding us accountable to learn or do something so that you're not just doing it on your own. You're supported by others to get it done. And that takes away an enormous amount of stress. When we only rely on ourselves, we are very or we're, we're pushing the cortisol hormones out and we're stressing out when we're around other people, physically just being around other people or talking to other people um, is making a difference in how we remember and how we learn. Um, So if you're having a a bad day and you're really struggling, what you wanna do is you really wanna center your thinking. You wanna kind of realize that we have two different hemispheres. We have a left and a right hemisphere. And when we're disconnected, those hemispheres are not connecting well. And so that's why mindfulness has become this new craze and exercise is this new craze um, because it's feeding the the neural pathway in a healthy way. Um, And so you're being around your friends makes you smile, makes you laugh. Uh, That's something that contributes to the depth of that neural pathway. So when I'm around somebody who makes me laugh, I want to be around them more and more and more. Um, When I'm around someone who makes me cry, I want to stay away because I can't learn when I'm frustrated and stressed out and want to cry. But I can learn when my brain is ready and primed. So sometimes in order to learn, people really need to stop and think emotionally, do I need to take care of something that's getting in the way? Because we don't do that enough in our in our world. In our world, we live in a very left brain culture, where it's all about details and specifics and et cetera. And our right brain, which is emotional um, and creative, can really slow down our ability to use our left brain. It's so you want to you want to think of yourself as using your whole brain, my right side and my left side. I want to use my emotions and my logic. 
so that I have a wise mind. And I want to use multiple senses when I'm doing that so that I lock in the learning into a pathway and over the practicing this new this new skill will become easier and easier and easier because of you using your senses, multiple senses to lock it in. Let me ask you, because I know, um, I'm sure you'll have something to say about this. Um, you know, the last year, people experienced a lot of isolation. Yes. And um, I'm wondering, in the people that you've worked with, if you found um, things you had to, again, go back to working on or working with or overcoming, I mean, did it impact their their ability, their brain function? Yeah. Um, Being under stress for such a long period of time is not good for us. So as I mentioned earlier, some stress is good, gets us to perform at our peak performance level. Mm-hmm. But too much stress becomes chronic, and then it starts to break down our brain. And being isolated from people, that's one of those things that starts to break down our, our willingness, our, our, our willingness to thrive. You know, um, unfortunately, it, what I've seen this year is I've seen some suicides from people who have been isolated and um, of older people, not teenagers, um, but, um, you know, 40s, 50s, 60s. We've seen some suicides because there's a sense of if I had, if I'm not part of a social group, I don't belong. I don't have a purpose. I have no connection to a community. What's the point? Mm-hmm. That, so that can be very isolating. Thinking, yeah. yeah, feeding off itself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So being around social people is so important. So you have people that hold you accountable, and also that laughing, that connecting, that discuss discussing something, talking about it. All of that's contributing to how well that memory is being created. Great. Okay. I think those are the the primary areas. Um, for us to discuss today, um, what would you like to leave us with today? Like, like, let's talk about three things. You know, the brain can what? Yeah. Um, yeah. I would say the three things, and I and I try to practice this in my own life. So that's why I'm going to give you my three because we have to start with ourselves. <laughs> we can't expect other people to do something if we're not willing to do it ourselves. So what I start with is I start in the morning by getting centered and really being mindful of, I wanna use both sides of my brain, not just my left side. I want to um, think positively. So the list of gratitude and centering your body and those things are really important. And then knowing that whatever food I'm putting in my stomach is gonna affect my brain. And I think if we can just start with simple steps like those three things, taking the time to be mindful, to be, to make meaning and say, I'm going to have a meaningful day. We create uh, the kind of day we're going to have. So it seems so, I don't know, cliche maybe, uh, but the exercise, the mindfulness and the food in your stomach are absolutely critical um, to your ability to learn and, and remember information. And the other thing that's important to know is that if your working memory has declined, you can increase your working memory because we now know about neurogenesis, that even though my my working memory has slipped a little bit, I can still get back in there and I can still work work at it and, and work on it. Right. That's, that is very hopeful. Yeah. 
um, all of this is very, very positive for me, and I hope for my listeners to um, to hear from you today. So um, I want to thank you, Jennifer Price from Learning Foundations, um, for providing and sharing all of your knowledge with us. I appreciate everything you do to enhance the lives of the people you work with. Um, you're doing remarkable work and and you know uh, remarkable things. So thank you. Um, you can find Jennifer and her team by going to her website, www.learningfoundations.org. And um, uh, I can't wait to see you again in person. Yeah, Nancy, thank you so much. It's been such a privilege. If I can help in any way, I hope we did. I. I I think you did. So uh, I hope others do as well. So for my listeners, join me and my guests live each Wednesday or on demand at voiceamerica.com, or you can follow us on your favorite podcast platform. Um, you can listen, um, send this out to your friends and share this very important information about the brain. And remember, if you are experiencing a moment of crisis or struggling with a loved one with uh, a cognitive impairment, go to aginglifenetwork.com where you can talk with a life care professional um, live who will answer your questions, provide you step-by-step -step guidance and support to assist you with your aging life journey. You'll also find a lot of good content, uh, resources, and of course, access to um, this show's um, uh, library. So have a great week, everybody. I appreciate you joining us today, and we will see you next time here at Aging Life. Thanks. Thank you for tuning in this week to Aging Life Network. Please join host Nancy Oriola for another edition of the program next Wednesday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time and 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. We can't wait to talk again. <laughs>